0: Hello, everybody. This is Tim Green with Rattle Magazine. Welcome to Rattlecast number 123. So glad you could join us this morning. Before we begin, I should say that Rattle is a publication of the Rattle Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit working to promote the practice of poetry. We've been in continuous publication since 1995 and are unaffiliated with any other organization. We just do this because we love poetry, and I know you do too, which is why you're spending your Sunday here with us. So please do click the like button and share, make sure you subscribe, click the bell, all that good stuff, because it really helps. So please do click that now. Now today's guest is Sophia Nas, and she'll be here in about 15 minutes. But before we start with that, we always like to go to Poets Respond first and talk to uh, the Poet of the Day. And um, today that poet is Candace M. Kelsey with Whale Sharks and Bell Hooks. So let's give Candace a call right now hey candace how you doing it 's Tim with rattle
1: very very good tim good to good to talk to you how are you
0: i 'm doing great it 's great to have you on the show um to share this poem about bell hooks, which is um of course a very important uh, person who passed away this week and we had a bunch of poems about bell hooks um, that were submitted and I just think that you know poetry is one of the best ways to to remember a person of significance like that who um you Absolutely. know meant a lot of things to different people and you get a real sense of um you know, an intimate look into what, what a person meant to somebody and sort of understand it better. And so, so can you just explain a little bit about Bell Hook's life and, and what she meant to you?
1: Sure. Well, um, I was introduced to her through her, uh, seminal piece, anti woman, um, at really, and it really captured my mind and my heart at a pivotal time in my adolescence. Um, and, uh, you know, she's, she was so accessible. She was incredibly academic and esoteric, but yet she had a way of reaching through her writing that was so accessible to everyone um, and really kind of democratic and which was her heart, you know? Um, And that, uh, that helped me. um, It was my introduction to social theory and, you know, that we could critique patriarchy and that, um, you know, oppression, you know, is real and there are race, class, gender structures that can be challenged, right? And so that was just eye-opening for me, and really, I think, changed the direction of, of my life in many, many ways, both personally and professionally. Um, and so um, when she passed, you know, it hit me pretty hard, um, and I just was moved to, to write something as an ode to her, and I remembered that for many, many years I carried in my wallet this quotation that I had gotten from her writing that meant so much to me and reminded me to be strong. And I would carry it around in my wallet all the time. And I thought of that. And that was sort of the starting point for this poem.
0: Yeah. And the poem revolves around this personal memory, um, or really two memories that are sort of merged together. Mm-hmm. Um, how did, how did those, those memories, it's sort of strange to think about coming from bell hooks to whale sharks. <laughs> and uh, yeah. so how did that, how did that like leap of um, this memory kind of come back and, and why?
1: sure sure well it, it's it's a it's quite circuitous, um, but uh, I, I teach writing um, at, at the high school level, and one of my students was sharing a really amazing student was sharing with me her experience diving with whale sharks at the Georgia Aquarium and how she had a panic attack um, and so that story I took a little poetic license about that's really about her, mm. um, but what that did was when she told me that story, it was so visceral because I remembered this drawing that I had colored for my grandmother when I was about 10 years old, that was of whale sharks. And it it reawoke that memory for me. And I remembered handing it to my grandmother, who um, was, you know, oppressed in her own ways of being an immigrant, um, and, you know, being a single mother of 10 kids, you know, in the early 1900s or mid 1900s. Um, And I connected the two and I thought, wow, how vulnerable to be floating in a, in a you know, in a aquarium with a whale shark as a young girl. And doesn't that sort of symbolize what all young girls really are going through and especially young girls of color um, and even immigrants um, and that you're so vulnerable. Um, and then this concept of the whale of the drawing that I gave my grandmother and that was such a hurtful thing to have it, what felt like rejected at the time. But then, you know, one of bell hooks, you know, greatest theses I think that we remember for her for is that we don't dismantle um, systemic you know race class gender oppression um, by using the same methods they use but by love Mm -hmm. and so I just really thought of the you know the whale sharks ability to you know (laughs) give birth to 300 pups at a time and it's it's like you know that's that's the love that we should be putting out um, and the love for ourselves
0: yeah really well said Um, do you want to go ahead and read the poem
1: sure I'd love to I had to I'll tell you this: I had to practice saying "ovoviviparous" many times.: <laughs> Yeah, that was one of those words.
0: I, I tried to I think I you know, if you looked at my office, if there was a camera on, you would see me trying to say it out loud as I was reading the okay. poem just for fun. We were, we yeah. were having
1: a duet across coast. Uh, OK, whale sharks and bell hooks. I passed out while diving with whale sharks at the Georgia Aquarium when I was celebrating my 15th birthday. My father was in the tank with me, as was the largest fish in the world an ovoviviparous creature whose embryo is formed within the egg, which then hatches in the mother's uterus. The young are released into the sea, fully formed. Litters can be more than 300 pups, but even weirder is that their teeth point backwards and their spot patterns are as unique as human fingerprints. I had a cold that day and trouble breathing in my mask. It's remarkable when I think about my vulnerability, like an astronaut floating in the atmosphere. They pulled me out and I was fine after they gave me a splash of cold air and a shake. I remembered my grandmother in Scranton, who barely spoke English, and stood in her kitchen for hours rolling cabbage while I sat in the back seat of a woody station wagon, coloring my best picture to give her, my grandmother, who had barely spoken to me for the 10 short years of my life. It was a deep sea scene from National Geographic's Magnificent Ocean Coloring Book, my companion on the 12-hour haul across Ohio through the Pennsylvania Turnpike, chewing gum and scented markers and the hope of a grandmother's love. When we moved to her backyard to sit under the clothesline, I braved the walk toward Grandma Baelish, picture in hand. She looked at it and nodded, then handed it back to me. I remember wanting to swim like a whale shark deep into the temperate waters and away from this humiliation. Today I read a post on Twitter about a grandmother who gave her grandchildren all the pictures they had made her. She had them in garbage bags, one for each child. The overwhelming response was warmth and awe that this grandmother had kept the artwork so long and returned it out of love. I wept. In a way, my mother has handed me garbage bags of the stuff she kept over the years. I have stored them in my body. A hatred for my thighs and belly disgust for my arms, the need for male attention. Women like bell hooks helped me take out that trash. I carried a slip of paper in my wallet the past 25 years. If any female feels she need anything beyond herself to legitimate and validate her existence, she is already giving away her power to be self-defining, her agency. These are the words bell hooks gave me and a generation of women tired of giving ourselves to people who looked, nodded, and handed us back. A young girl's heart is an ovoviviparous creature. It gives and it gives endless litters of love until it realizes the embryos hatch inside itself.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that. Just a wonderful poem in tribute to Bell Hooks. And that line, um, uh, women like Bell Hooks helped me take out the trash, is such a great, memorable yeah. way to put it. Um, so I yeah, really thanks, appreciate that, Tim. Yeah, thanks so much for, for joining us today and for sharing this uh, this poem.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yep, bye. Bye-bye.
0: And that was Candace Kelsey with Whale Sharks and Bell Hooks. And um, we have a, a bonus poem this week, too. Um, and this, you know, I... Um, I keep telling myself that we're, we're sort of done with coronavirus poems and even especially poems with the title of In the Time of Coronavirus, but it just never ends. <laughs> and, um, and so this poem came in from um, Jean L. Creeling, and um, it, just, it just captures this sort of surreal nature, I thought, of um, the way this pandemic never seems to end. And this is going to be Tuesday's poem. I'll read, um, read the note here first. Um, this is Gene L. Creeling. The surreal quality of pandemic life strains the brain, and recent news of spikes and in infections and deaths has exacerbated the stress. While I'm grateful that COVID-19 has not affected me or my loved ones in any dire physical way, I suspect I'm not the only one who feels as if I'm living in some alien universe, some unimaginably difficult world from which I cannot escape, where time, among other things, doesn't function properly. Um, so there's the note for this poem, and here is uh, Jean L. Creeling reading it.
2: Time in the Time of Coronavirus With half our faces covered and six feet from most other sources of body heat, we navigate new normal in our own germ-fearing bubbles, freakishly alone or feigning human contact via screen as months of tragedy make dread routine. Our past and future both grow vague. The counting of days confounds us, as the death toll, mounting obscenely, renders numbers both abstruse and cruel, and new variants reduce the quantity of breaths we each might take. Good morning, Kim. How many years we each might get to make a life, A home, a work of art, a dent in our to-do lists. We cannot invent a kindly clock, and it's not a surprise when time turns blurry. It both creeps and flies. It twists into unmeasured shapes. It flouts the laws of physics and threatens redoubts of certainty and order. Has it been six months? A year or two since you were in a restaurant, a plane, a concert hall? Since you shook someone's hand? Can you recall when you began to forego pedicures? Like sci-fi movies, this weird life obscures the clock, the calendar, reality itself. And though we are apparently the stars of this film, we're oblivious. The ending certainly unknown to us, the plot of murky, convoluted mess, the running time is anybody 's guess
0: and that was uh the the Tuesday post respond poem in the time in the or time in the time of coronavirus by Jean l. creeling, and uh, that ending is just just wonderful. Um, uh, the plot of murky, convoluted mess, The Running Time, is anybody's guess. Um, how how true is that? So uh, thanks for sharing that. That'll be Tuesday's poem coming up. A little preview of it here. And now we're going to go to our main guest for today. Um, just to warn you, it might be a little bit of a longer delay than normal because um, um, Sophia's not here right now. But we'll, hopefully we'll get in touch with her over the, the break in a second. And we'll be right back um, with Sophia Naz and... Um, oops. We'll be right back. And we're back. Thanks so much for your patience. Sophia Naz is our guest today. Um, As we mentioned, Sophia is a bilingual poet, essayist, author, editor, and translator. She's been nominated twice for the Pushcart Prize. Her work features in numerous literary journals and anthologies. She's the author of the poetry collections Peripheries and Pointillism and Date Palms, and a biography of her mother, um, uh, Shayna's the Tragic. True Tale of Royalty, Glamour, and Heartbreak it was released from Penguin Random House in 2019. Her latest collection of poetry, which we'll be talking about most, is Open Zero, which just came out from Yoda Press a few months ago. And here she is, Sophia Nas. Hi, Sophia. How you doing?
3: Hi, I'm doing great.
0: Yeah, I'm so glad you could join us today. Um, do you want to start us out with a poem to get the, get the poetry flowing?
3: Absolutely. I'll get uh, So this poem is called Mother Tongues. Take off your shoes outside this shrine where ghosts of the mother tongues reside alongside lamps of extinguished geographies. Should I gauze this thaka muslin today? Say, mal mal, glaze a homonym hymn in Kabir's cadence over an earthen plot of amputated thumbs. warp and weft pour from the cleft. Mandible as tomb, sanctum sanctorum, womb of wombs, mother tongues ferment. Matrashka dolls, each within another, mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, till the last pod, God-embedded seed, syllable, wails, ma, mother of memory, heal me. Unmake my prosaic days of bricks, troll boots, malware, endless fishes. Click by click, the dick pics box me in. anarchally sentenced to snark alley by that blind emperor, autocorrect. The walls, the walls are closing in, transfixed on a selfie stick. Mother of memory, Ma, reveal me a heaving loom, the greater grit buried in these lines. Electrify a thousand fold suns in the mouth of every silence.
0: Yeah, there's a beautiful poem that was Mother Tongues um, from Open Zero, um, your most recent book. And um, and so the book is about um that that concept of open zero um comes from having been through one of the biggest fires in american history um in uh, 2017 um in Glen Ellen where you are you know where you lived then and live now Was um most of the town was burned down um do you want and then and then so the open zero concept is about being left with nothing and what that means sort of spiritually i guess is what's going on in the book Um, Do you want to just explain the situation and and what happened then in 2017?
3: Yes, um, it was late at night, around 10 o'clock, and all of a sudden, uh, I felt there's smoke in the air, and I couldn't see any fire, so essentially, we had no warning. We left with the clothes on our back, uh, joined thousands of others, Um, virtually the entire town was burned down, and... So, um, you know, there's an immediate uh, shock of grief, uh, but what that does is kind of, uh, it led me to a kind of introspection of, um, you know, there's grief and then loss is is something that comes later. And I started thinking about uh, the nature of loss and all the different kinds of losses. And then... um, you know, historically, I'm an immigrant, I've, my background uh, is, you know, my parents migrated from what is uh, now in India, it was all India, but now they they migrated to Pakistan, and, you know, there's a history of loss, and one one tends to, uh, Mm -hmm. the larger perspective, when all this is removed, you know, one can see a, a bit clearer, it's a kind of paradox, there's a a disciple of Basho, who wrote that when the barn burned down, I have a clearer view of the moon. <laughs>
0: oh, I love that, Haiku, so, yeah.
3: Yes. So, yes, definitely a different perspective and uh, introspection about all, how we are all connected through this, this, these threads of loss, you know. It's not just my loss, it's, it's the larger picture that is actually more important that I kind of connect to in the book.
0: Yeah, it, you know it's it was interesting reading it for me personally, just because um you know I live in a town very similar to Glen Ellen, where, you know we, we're threatened by fire all the time every year. You know there's a fire threat. We talked about it in the show because sometimes I'm like, oh, the show might not go on because we have a fire going on, and um and so I've you know imagined you know and I've I've joined the citizens emergency response team to see if I could learn more about how to be safe, and the answer is like there's no way to be safe really, and um. And it's just a, so so imagining you know what it would be like to have that much loss you know to have you know it's hard to not drive through the town during fire season just imagine you know every other house being gone which is kind of how it is and, and almost nothing left. Um, so how have you um, you know just in a in a you know personal and physical way? How have you been able to rebuild? You still live in Glen Allen, was that? Um,
3: yes, we still live in Glen Allen, and um, so. We, to rebuild, uh, you know, we bought a, a trailer mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, we lived on the property. Uh, so I'm on three and a half acres. So we're more fortunate than most that, uh, you know, the, we are able to, you know, live on site. And we have rebuilt now. Uh, so, you know, it took a while. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. yes, uh, you know, the landscape's forever been altered. You know, you live with this every day. I look at it every day. Uh, even as we speak right now, I've rebuilt, but behind me is a giant um, barren uh, pile of earth where my old house used to be. And I I look at it every day. You know, you can't escape it, you know. Uh, we can't escape uh, the evidence of climate change that's all around us. It's. Uh, so, you know, all that we can do is uh, to to write about it is the only way I, I know how to process it.
0: <laughs> and and did you think about leaving? Like, was that uh, something that you, you know, moving somewhere else to be away? Because, you know, you probably have like a, maybe a 10-year window where the vegetation hasn't built up again. But in 10 or so years, the threat of fire is right back.
3: The threat of fire is right back. Um uh, We were, in all this tragedy, we were fortunate in that we had... uh, So I have a... I work as a practitioner of holistic medicine from India. And we had built a little... We'd renovated our old barn to build a little uh, treatment center. And we're very fortunate that that didn't burn. It's just about the only thing that survived. So we took it as an omen that we are meant to survive. And so... And live. And so we felt also the community needed our healing and we needed it. So we we just decided to stay. But um, I don't know. We may still leave. <laughs> you know, we haven't made that final decision yet, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so... <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, it's just a really, really, I don't know, it's it's a tough story to, um, you know, have to go through all that so much upheaval, but then to decide to stay and and rebuild is just a a great thing too. Um, Let's read another poem. Um, What is is next?
3: This one is called uh, Skin Like Paper. And just a bit of context. uh, This was written for uh, in memoriam for an artist called Zarina. Um, She passed away last year. And uh, <clears throat> Zarina uh, lost uh, her home in India in Aligarh due to partition, and she lived and worked for a number of years in New York. And uh, this poem uh, references a work of hers. It's a woodblock print called um, "Paper Like Skin," and it uh, it shows a line uh, going from one corner uh, to another corner of the print. And if you look at it uh, as a normal, like Western observer, it looks like an abstract painting. But if you are from India or Pakistan, you will recognize it immediately as the borderline that divides the two countries. Mm -hmm.
0: So interesting. Yeah. Here, I'll show it on screen for everybody at home. I pulled it up just now. That's the paper like skin um, painting. The skin like paper. Skin like paper, I should say.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Skin like paper. Everything unsaid, condensed in that jagged line, featureless on both sides of the divide, that, compelled to hem as children, freehand, spoon-fed memory from the pot of royal blue, India ink splotches all over the map, fresh blood, a smell that clings to paper like skin. Line that thick rag paper yielded, supine below a lover's nails, raw earth, succession of severed witness fingers, line you swallowed like a sword, drew out, blackened from alembic, some called alif, others, parallel bars of a cage, destined to run, the length of a life, yet never meet. What is home? Only the moon is sky-clad. For the rest of us, toil, the flapping of wings, far away, out of reach.
0: And that was skin like so, paper, um, from Open Zero by Sophia Nas. Um, so, Sophia, you have just a really interesting like biography. Um, in in you know a lot of it comes up in that book which we mentioned um the name of it once again was um Shanaz a tragic true story of royalty glamour and heartbreak about your mother um but you you um you know your mother had that um you know she was in the a royal family in india and then um you know, just reading the 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 um description here of the book and then she um you know, wanted to be more modern and wanted to have an education and get married who she chose and stuff, and so she sort of left that life and became had a, sort of a glamorous like Bollywood kind of life, um, and then and then you know, a whole lot of things happened. So, can you just explain a little bit about your your life background and um, ah. and how that relates to becoming a poet too? Is what we're always interested in.
3: Oh, my mother, um, actually, she was never uh, she was so the book is her wanting to be free of all of these um constrictions of the life that she was born in but she was actually frustrated at every turn mm. uh she acted in a in she wasn't she was married but it was an arranged marriage to somebody who was a a social climber and wanted to marry her only because uh marrying her would give him uh cachet and and um uh, he was a politician so um she was a politician's wife with all that entails and she was offered the role of uh, the, you know the title role of the most uh, famous move, indian movie ever made it was called moghalyazam and uh, but she was never able to do that because her family intervened it was a it's a long and very a uh, torturous story she got divorced but her husband took away her children and she wasn't able to see them for 20 plus years so it was it was horrendous um, well but my um, you know all of this happened before i was born you know uh, those are my half sister my half sister and half brother whom i didn't grow up with and uh, fortunately my mother met and married my father when we they had a lovely uh, happily married life together, but uh, my my uh, I started writing poetry when I was six, and this was brought about by uh, separation from my father, and uh, it's another it's a second partition that I was kind of witness to um, or witness to the beginnings of it anyway, uh, which was when Pakistan uh, was split into. East Pakistan became Bangladesh in 1971. And my father was a doctor in the army, and he was incarcerated uh, in the province of his birth, actually 29 miles from his hometown. Mm. Um, it's also one of the poems in the book. It's called Left and Right. I describe the violence that took place um, on the 23rd of March. 1971 this is the 50th year of that happening by the way
4: mm.
3: so when i was separated from him uh, there was a huge amount of sadness and that was actually the trigger when i started writing um there was a treehouse <laughs> my my brother built a treehouse uh, well just a plank in a banyan tree and uh, that's i uh, used i used to sit there and uh, <laughs> i started writing so it was it was, uh, again, it was like loss, you know. Mm-hmm. A, a loss of proximity to your parent when you're a, a child is a huge thing, you know.
0: Yeah, So yeah, for sure. Um, well, let's read another poem, because we have a, a good okay. number of them. So let's, let's do another.
3: So this one is called after math. The calculus that what's beyond the hill must be left at memory's table. A feast not meant to be eaten, but pierced at the precise point which leads smoothly into the needle's nose, hugs the thread snug so thought, fleshed out, desiccates but doesn't fall like meat tendering a resignation. The trees are bereft of berries now. You would have paused to pick them, grasping at branches just beyond your reach and knees would bruise ripe as a summer peach disappears leaving only a sunset stain in the corner of sky's wordless mouth falls moist mist almost dissipated only wisps of stubborn weed cling to the hill Sides feathers, ostrich brown, akin to you, whose head swims in the sand. The drought has dealt you well, you dwell in doubts, the hill still beckons. Almost against your will, you are walking, woodpeckers on tap to open up the trap doors, char as far as the eye can roam. Sinew of auburn manzanitas, burned and hacked to pieces. Reel after reel, you can't unsee the forest's death. A silent movie plays on. The orchestra, a hollow pump, fist of an organ, thumping on and on. You walk to the top, the slope abruptly condescending. The price extracted in perspiration's penance paid you richly in coin. In kind you preened the plumes as a peacock dancing in the rain would scatter a myriad eyes. Their blue made not of borrowed pigment, but out of bent light, reflecting ways of seeing nothing, multiplying a hall of mirrors and a single flame. The last house on a dead-end road would rise up to fill your eyes. First the roundabout, full with aloe and well-fed quills of succulents. Then the porch, overhung with ivy, so thick even envy would pale away like winter sun. Shining where it once stood, where you stand on scarred earth. Scabbed into scrub as if, after many blows, a giant had fallen. And through his maws you saw the valley yawn wide, felt something give as the waters rushed in.
0: And that was Aftermath from Open Zero. Um, and, and that's a great example of, um, of your style of poetry there, which uses so much internal rhyme and, and you know, repetition of sound. There's so much music going on in there. Um, can you talk a little bit about, about how you approach writing a poem? Um, is, that, is, that, is it sort of, I don't know, it's sort of like playing jazz by ear as you go? Uh, how, how, do you, uh, how do you write a poem?
3: Um, I think that, um, can you still hear me? Yeah. This, mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. all right. Because it's frozen on my hand, I'm just oh, wondering. Okay. And, anyway, uh, yes, I, um, I think it's um, it's to do with um, my heritage. It's, it's very much uh, an oral culture uh, that I grew up with, uh, poetry. Um, we have something called uh, Mushaira, where um, this is the predominant uh, culture, still very much alive today. Where poets uh, get together, uh, groups of poets, and they they read. And um, so I, I think orality is uh, central to my poetry. And um, yes, I, I I I approach it like um, I'm always looking for that uh, feeling. You know, it has to sound right. Otherwise, it, I it's not it's not a poem for me. <laughs> so yes orality is extremely important
0: and and so you know so if you have an idea for a poem um how did what's the process like like very specifically like like do you do you write frequently in notebooks and do you revise a lot um what is the sort of the the nitty-gritty of your process like
3: the nitty-gritty is that uh notebooks Mm -hmm. um i i write in a notebook um I'm, I'm very old-fashioned that way, you know. It it has to be on 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 a physical surface. And yes, some I'll revise it. I'll I'll read it out. I'll revise it until it feels right and sounds right. Um, you know, just sonically, it has to appeal to me. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, it just feels too dead. You know, so yes. Uh, revision is it's constant if you if it's anything you learned it's you know the craft is basically revised revise and revise some more
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, yes well if anybody has any questions for sophia please do leave them in the chat windows either on facebook or youtube I'm, I'm keeping an eye on both and i'll pass along any questions that you might have but in the meantime let's hear the next poem
3: okay so this one's called trailer blues The guy on call who tried and failed to fix each successive ailment himself, a decrepit 56, dismissed the body. It's crap, he said, just thick cardboard and glue. These walls will fail. Sure as that travesty went down in Berlin, 91, no pickaxe needed. They churned them out like turds, those pricks in Indiana, so cheap they might as well turn tricks. That's one twenty-six with tax, he smiled. See you next time, miss. After he left, a morose code on tap kept the tab running all night long. Side pitter-patter of marauding critters, morning topped up the cup unwelcoming ghost, bird of prey, gray shawls bloated on easy pickings. All this mill for a grist of lineage, yet the gist, absent from the list, a swallow remains undigested. So that was Trailer Blues.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Trailer Blues from uh, Open Zero. Um so so you also um write poems, I believe, in Urdu, right?
3: Yes, Urdu, yes, that is correct. So so um,
0: I'm always curious about the difference between, you know, writing in English versus writing in different languages, like how that drives the the, the kind of poem that you write. Um can you talk a little bit about, about writing poems in the two?
3: Um yes. Well, um my Urdu poetry um tends to be a an exploration also of um, sonic um, possibilities. And some of it, some of the Urdu poetry actually does creep into my English poetry as well. Um, for a few years now, I've uh, explored something called the bilingual homonym, mm-hmm. where, uh, where um, the writing of poetry is actually uh, my way of kind of decolonization of the English language. And when I put in, uh, because, you know, it, when your mother tongue is Urdu and you're learning, uh, you're learning English, uh, you there is always a sense that your abilities in English are somewhat lesser than they are in Urdu. And so I, I started adding Urdu words to English. And uh, so the text is kind of a there's something hidden inside the, the text because it makes sense in English when you have a bilingual homonym, but then there's another layer of meaning that is buried inside the text, like uh, a code which you can only understand if you understand both languages. So it's my way of like uh, decolonizing English. But Urdu is a very uh, beautiful uh, language. It is uh, a language, a lot of the language just exists um, for sheer sonic pleasure. Hmm. You know, there are uh, words in Urdu like, ki kar denge. So they, they've created um, expressions, words, and other um, sonic uh, celebrations, how should I say, uh, that exist only for the sheer pleasure of the sound of it. And uh, so it's definitely a, a celebration of of sound uh, and beautiful or- orality, and it definitely influences my writing in English.
0: Yeah, that's interesting you say that, because I've kind of noticed that that it seems like almost impossible to translate poems um, from Urdu um, into English. Do you do you do that? Do you do translation? And it, it just feels like that, I don't know, I get a sense of reading the poems in translation that, that so much is missing.
3: Absolutely. It's very difficult to translate. I have translated. There is one couplet uh, that I translated uh, in a poem called Black Butterflies, and it appears it's a couplet from Ghalib. It's extremely hard to translate, especially because the dominant form of poetry in Urdu is the ghazal. And the ghazal, uh, first of all, there is a large amount of elision. In In other words, there is a lexicon of the ghazal, where certain things that have have, uh, one meaning, like an overt meaning, a literal meaning in English, but mean something uh, far more profound, and it has acquired, uh, like a patina, you know, over the centuries, uh, certain things like the assassin. The assassin does not mean an assassin. The assassin means the beloved. (laughs) So, uh, to to give uh, the uh, the richness the, the richness and the the beautiful um, melodic sonic quality of urdu is impossible To translate, you have to actually forego the form of the ghazal. Hmm. And so the greatest mistake that people make in translating is to try to replicate the form of the ghazal because it does not replicate at all in English. And the ghazal that are written originally in in English, and I have written some, but they're always inferior creatures. There is no match. You cannot replicate it because you have to uh, replicate the universe of the language, and it's a completely different universe.
0: Yeah, I mean, very similar. We've talked a lot about um, how haiku is like that. How you just can't, you know, because there's so much tradition in those in those kigo, and 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 the language is is metered differently. It's not metered in Japanese, so it's it's very similar type thing where we can sort of do our interpretations of kind of in English, but you can't do the same thing. Um, it's interesting because Peter Desmond here um, on the chat asked about Guzzles just now before you started talking about it. So he you already answered his question. Um, over on, on Facebook, Peter O'Donohue wants to know if you... Um, do you think in Urdu or English?
5: Huh.
3: I think in both. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, it's like stereo.
0: <laughs> oh, that's a good way to think of it, yeah. <laughs> um, well, let's hear the next poem.
3: Okay. <clears throat> it's called Hands if your hands could smell you'd be an octopus every surface scent a million stories the stealthy stickiness of slugs would seep epics in the drama of the underbrush melting stalagmites show and tell in your digits earth as memnosony if your hands could smell, the suck of subway cars would stop you dead in your tracks to decode teeming conduits, lighting up nosegays on your fingers. Newborn bouquets, archaic utter. Each night, etymology of odor would allure you, greedy as Prometheus, but unable to steal the summer of a firefly the distant musk of a star. If your hands could smell, you'd speak in canine, each pole and passing bush whisper, each sniff you'd get the snitch of neighborhood carousing in high fidelity, until weary of invisible graffiti scroll of metropolis unfolding in endless olfactory braille, you'd head for the woods hoping trees were not such talkers, or at least would shoot the breeze between sentences. How long did you walk? It's hard to tell, but when you fell palms down, cupped hollow as a flute upon the ground, you understood how the void makes music possible. And history had it wrong. It was not earth bore witness it was your hands all along
0: yeah another beautiful poem that was um um, hands from open zero and just every one of these poems has so much music to it they're beautiful to hear you read um i'm always curious about you know speaking of india before um, I'm always curious about how poetry is sort of encountered. I think this is maybe a bias of mine as an editor, just to be curious about this. But but how does poetry live? You've been lived in India and Pakistan too, right? Um, right. So so how you know what is like poetry's place within cultural life there? I've I've asked you know several people from India to um, describe that, and and it's always the sense of like it's just such a rich and varied country through different languages and in regions. That it's like different everywhere you go, um, so I'm just curious, like what your experience of poetry was like growing up. I know some newspapers publish poetry, um, you know, and it's in schools. Like, like how much is poetry a part of regular life um, where you live growing up?
3: Well, um, there's two things. There's the poetry uh, in Urdu, which is uh, I was extremely fortunate that m- when I was growing up. Uh, poetry in Urdu was an intrinsic part of my uh, life. My Both my parents were very much interested in poetry. My mother wrote poetry in Urdu. And um, our ancestral home uh, was in Bhopal and is still there, actually. And uh, in the evenings, the entire families uh, would get together and we'd have something called Beth Bazi, which means that uh, you... Uh, there is a a, a couplet, a, a ghazal couplet, always, and um, you you say the couplet, and the end end of the say so ends in an N. The next person on the opposing team has to start another cu- uh, couplet with the, that ending letter, and so on and so forth. So, mm. and this is all from memory. So it requires you to memorize large amounts of poetry and it's definitely it seeps into your skin and i think that uh you know everywhere you go in india and in pakistan um definitely poetry is a part of the the fabric of everyday life you find couplets written at the back of you know buses and rickshaws you'll find uh, your cab driver you know, will will, might as well, you know, he he may well recite poetry. It's definitely, and of course, in Urdu, there is the the tradition of the mushaira, which uh, once used to take place in the court of the king. And then after uh, the end of the empire, so to speak, you know, after the end of the Mughal empire, it it, uh, dissipated into, um, into the cultural life. And now we still have mushairas, and those are mostly in Urdu and they have large audiences like you know you might have an audience of like you know thousands of people you know so that is it depends on the language urdu has a has its own cultural uh, milieu and in in uh, english poetry it's a much smaller audience because mm-hmm. uh, it's it tends to be more like a mirror of of the the culture that is existing here, you know, your small poetry readings, you know, you have some print. Now you have, you know, the modern kind of uh, uh, festivals, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, it's very much l- like it is in uh, in in the West, as far as English poetry is concerned,
0: yeah, it's so it's so interesting to hear that. It, it sounds kind of like heaven, being, you know, for somebody who loves poetry to um, you know have everybody know poems and be able to recite them. Do you feel like is there like a sadness to to being in a culture that doesn't appreciate poetry as much now?
3: Well, yes, I mean there is a sadness, um, and it. it you know, when I left, uh, I came to uh, New York in 1988. So at that point, you know, it wasn't the internet, there is no cell phone, it was just definitely being uh, pulled out of one, my culture and milieu and being dropped into something quite alien. So there was definitely a a rupture and a sadness. And uh, I think that sense, that sense of, you know being disconnected from this whole stream definitely uh has permeated my work it's uh yes the answer is yes i i feel it's it's better now you mm-hmm. know because now we are we are so connected you know we're sitting in in disparate places and we can talk to each other through the blessings of the um you know the internet but uh so less of an isolation now. But, uh, you know, those things don't leave you, you know, they, you know, they stay in your um, in your psyche, you know, definitely.
0: Yeah. Well, um, on the chat windows, people are just loving these poems. So let's um, let's read another one. Um, I think okay. Nakoda is next.
3: Yes. Nahoda. Nahoda. OK. No, it's Nahoda. Nahoda means uh, sea captain or uh, it's actually the it's it's in islamic um, culture uh, the the maritime culture is 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 like a metaphor for your uh, journey through life and the captain of the ship is like a god so na means now means the ship khuda means god the captain of the ship is like the god of the ship anyway na khuda one fountain pen the fountain pen was like him, an extrovert, prone to spilling seas above a sinking breast pocket, hot grown a blue rose. A thorn pitched in the belly of a grundig scratched an itch on a mane of dense concentric rings, glossy as black oiled hair. In his hands, the thorn would step delicately in, A circular sea voyage begin again. The gate of a god, love convulsed as fish bereft of water, an invitation to the beloved to take up residence underneath one's eyelids. When they had shed their pollen, the talismans were neatly stored, standing up, sleeve in sleeve. Everything began with water. Eyes, love, life, death, all swaddled in Jal, Sagar, Samandar, Siyahi. Even the meter of the ghazal, Behr, emanated from Behr, sea. After he was let go, unmoored, a-drowning, with your little girl's hand you tried to fashion a boat out of scrap paper, chipped teacups, Read placemats, even your own shriveling hands. Nothing floats. 2. Ribbon. No matter what time of the day you touched Remington's body, it was a cold olive green. Yes, quite unequivocally, the machine that made words was male and the ribbon that fed it female. Was ribbon, a derivative of rib, as taken from one frail body and made to order? Rib in, softening the blows of metal, punching the defenseless sheet. Years later, after he died, there were fifteen metal trunks of paper to go through. Some fifty years of his writing life, your hands trembled. Jonah... Standing at the mouth of the whale. Three, paper. Hold them up to the light and they quiver as if a shaman was breathing on them. The typewritten pages with their visceral analog surface, whispers of whiskers, where the metal left just a faint after image of itself. The ones that actually flew out of your hands like butterflies were his favorites. Aerograms of onion skin, the lightest paper ever invented. Pale skies where the birds of his hands lay nestled, shriveled blue roses.
0: Another beautiful poem um, from Open Zero. And a prose poem, um, how do you, is there a difference in, in approaching a prose poem? Like when did you know that that was going to be a prose poem and, and what what difference does that make?
3: Sometimes, so this poem is is a tribute to my father and my father used to write uh, stories. So uh, in in a tribute to him, I decided to use the prose poem format rather than poetic format. And Of course, you know, the prose poem, the unit is not the line, it's the sentence. And um, I think uh, it's just a subconscious thing. You know, I I think about him and and the language shifts uh, to the way that he might have used it. So uh, I'm I'm a great believer that the form should reflect uh, also form rather than just content should reflect what you're trying to say. So, yes, um, I think uh, it does, you know, it does uh, develop differently in me. I I, I think about a sentence and I think uh, it's almost like constructing the poem uh, sentence by sentence. Each each sentence should have its its complete rhythm. And then you write the next one. So <laughs> quite different than... Uh, yeah,
0: that's interesting. I haven't really heard it put that way. The, 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 the sentence by sentence, as if it were a line. That's a really interesting way to put it. Um, let's keep poems coming up. Uh, the next is Wish Fulfilling Tree.
3: Yes. Wish Fulfilling Tree. I dreamed a tree at river's edge. grand mother load of shade. And I, a refugee leafing through, promise of a green country. Sueño, subtle pollen's kiss, entwined on limb, fragrant thigh and I, my lover's creeper, yet reverie succumbs, unable to become, wish-fulfilling swelling tree. The fruit of labour pains too much, Death by paper, cuts close to bone. I lean on stuff of monsoon swings and songs. Memory, a tree, unrolling stone, lost heartbeats on a vinyl grove. Mother tree, mango breasts, father tree, stern sandal, wooden forehead head under hand and snake to climb booty. Tree, God-framing me, uncapped vault. Tree as everything that's me, bursting into bud. What of these trampled flowers? What of the fist-sized rose-made blood? Tree at crossroads, loggerheads, rushing rapids, no arbol adentro, safe harbor or embankment. Sharks on the cards, default, falling seasons, sound, dominoes murmur, waylay the wish-fulfilling tree. Alone, denuded of drapes like Thropathy would be, were she not wrapped in smug paternal. Azad, Hind, what a sham, what a shame, since when has a tree been free? Stripped down, skeletal, sentinel, keeping vigil, beckoning butterflies, summoning immovable doves.
0: Yeah, just beautiful poem. Since when has a tree been free? I love that. Wish Fulfilling Tree was that poem uh, from Open Zero. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in your, your work as a holistic, um, in holistic medicine. Um, you know, most of the poets, probably the, you know, 50, 50, but half the poets we publish at least are just professors somewhere. And so having poets that are, that are not professors somewhere is always interesting to me. So, so what is, um, you know, when you say holistic medicine, what does that entail? And, um, um and, and,
3: yeah. So I do something called Kaya kulp, and Kaya, uh, kelp, Kaya means your bodies. Uh, body, mind, and and, and uh, psyche. And kalp means something that will transform it. So in other words, it's um, a kind of uh, applied alchemy that will transform you uh, in the inner chemistry of your body in from one state to another, from a, a stuck state to a subtle and a dynamic state. And so... Um, My husband is a 55th generation practitioner of this science from India. Um, And he, um, I learned it from him and we practice this uh, medicine and therapy together. And so it's like uh, there's a session in which there are 11 to 12 therapies and you go through this whole process uh, through a series of sessions whereby we take the constituent Elements, uh, so it's element-based theory. Um, you and the universe are both uh, composed out of the same building blocks. And so when there's an, uh, a disease or a discomfort, we consider it an imbalance of those building blocks or elements. And we use the things that are in the universe that possess the, the qualities that can rectify this imbalance. And we introduce them through various forms, whereas uh, through herbs, through the processes that uh, you go through in the therapy. So, and it's it's a highly, um, how should I say, specialized field of practice within the Indian systems because there's an Indian system called Ayurveda, but this is actually pre-Vedic medicine, uh, which comes from the Siddha tradition of India. So... <laughs> There's a whole uh, highly evolved and and um, dynamic practice that I do. <laughs> yeah, that,
0: that's really interesting to hear. Um, and how, how does that relate to poetry? Because I've been, I, I sort of have these like glimmerings thinking about how poetry like is sort of functioning under the surface, about how mm. there's sort of like a universal consciousness, and there's like a, you know, like the individual is the conduit to that, and sort of the way that that would be. A, restoring an imbalance almost of like thought or something correct it, 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 so so yeah
3: so first of all i'd like to mention that all of the 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 medical texts all of the texts are all written in poetry first of all uh-huh. and then secondly um when we when we talk many many people who come to see us are actually writers um who want to, who are stuck in their creativity and they they come and see us and and, uh, have all these sudden flashes. Because I think that, um, you know, in our lives, we are constantly pulled towards the outside. Our our entire systems are overloaded with the fight-flight response, and even more so now because we spend so much time on the internet because we're not going out and being in the real world. And so... um, when, when you remove all of the external um, distractions and uh, a lot of this process is getting people through uh, the, how should I say, purification and nurturing of the senses to, to become uh, aware of what's going on inside them. And uh, one of the main re- ways we do it is actually through the breath. Because uh, our breath is in both a voluntary system and an involuntary system. In other words, you're breathing even though you're not aware of it. But if you b- bring consciousness to your breath, it's a way of bringing you in touch with what's going on inside. And and that's how you can actually write a poetry that is true to yourself and not just um, some kind of a, you know... Um, imitation of what or 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 what you think it should be because you're you you're not anybody else everyone has their own frequency you know so yeah it, that's, that's a great that's how it, it relates to poetry
0: yeah yeah it's a great way to put it too because especially with you know political poems in particular which you write around the edges of those political topics climate change and feminism and things like that um to come at it from a from a way that's not you know that it's true a true presentation of like the inner self is really difficult to do because a lot of, there's so many sort of messages that are already out there that sort of force their way into poems from the external world um so it's interesting to hear you say that and, and and also the way that a poem is the regulation of our breath to start with um so it's sort of like a bridge to that level of consciousness it's really a fascinating thing to think about
3: um, yes and that's how it relates to orality yeah mm-hmm. you know you can't practice orality without being aware of breath
0: yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, so do you have any techniques for getting, you know, if you had writer's block or something, do you ever have writer's block? I don't mean, know. You might be a person that does it,
3: but, um, um well, who doesn't have writer's block? No, <laughs> yeah. no one is, is, has come on this earth with, with absolute perfection flow. Um, but yeah, I think that, uh, basically if you I, I try to make it a habit that uh, I write something every day, even if it's just a sentence. But if if I'm ever blocked, the only way that, f- that works for me to unblock is just to go for a walk.
1: Mm.
3: <laughs> you know, walking, um, and you know, science has now proved that, you know, walking jogs your memory. You're not only jogging the, the physical act of planting your feet, upon the ground, uh, you know, so I think, uh, you know, poets, uh, in essence, you know, it's a sensory experience, you know, so uh, I, I, for me, anyway, I mean, somebody might be completely abstract, but I think that for a poem to have some kind of resonance, it it has to have some connection with the earth, with everything that's around, and with nature, I mean, the I think one of the reasons why I'm still here is that I'm even though so much of it has been devastated, it's still there, you know, mm-hmm. the earth is still there. There is a forest, <laughs> you know, some parts of it are still unburned. So, yeah, connecting with uh, something outside yourself so that it's not like, oh, my God, you know, I, there is a sense of panic that I'm stuck. Uh-huh. But, you know, stop thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think we have time for uh, maybe two more poems and one more question. So do you want to do okay. the, the second-to-last poem?
3: Yes, uh, the second-to-last poem. That would be...
0: Well, whichever one you want to do, but...
3: No, no, I'll do the second-to-last poem, which uh, a sort of a shorter one. Um, it's called Thirty-Three Inuit Names of Snow. Light travels at 68,000 miles a second Ago... Even as your lover's eyelash brushes your cheek, a glimmer has passed into dark diurnal wells where you go like village girls to draw water for these lines. When you wake from wetness, clocks are dismantling silence like taxidermists they push pins into skies, chameleon, feather, mining the amoebic belly of water, while you are dreaming of a deep silence folded in the 33 Inuit names of snow. What is love if not something that alights on the tongue? Snow is the language of osmosis, the eons old light swimming like eels in Your
0: veins, and yeah, that was 33 Inuit names of snow from Open Zero. Um, so, so, what do you have? Um, uh, next, Are you, you you know, you wrote the the um, memoir of your mother or the the biography of your mother? Um, do you have this book that comes out? Is there something you're working on? Um, moving forward, absolutely.
3: Now? Uh, I'm working on my next book of poetry, which is uh tentatively titled Obsidian Heart, and um. So it's a kind of continuation because, is you know, obsidian is a like a volcanic glass, and it's uh, it's a volcanic glass that's found all over here, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was uh, you know, it's like something that comes out of the fire and it congeals, you know. So I thought that was a um, a fitting follow up to Open Zero. And uh, it's, uh, yes, uh, I, I, you know, because when you write uh, something and then it takes so long to publish, I've been writing, of course, in the interim after the publication. Uh, So, yes, it is almost ready. So we'll see if it gets published.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So um, the press that you have this book out with is in India. Um, Do you usually publish in India? And and do you sort of have more of an audience in India or more of an audience in the United States, you think, as far as readership goes? Uh,
3: I think that, um, I don't know, I, I've, I've tried uh, to be published in the U.S. I think, uh, I'm not sure why. I, I definitely want the next book to be published in the U.S. Yoda Press is an absolutely fabulous press, by the way. Um, it's run by a bunch of women. They're Dalit uh, women, they're feminist women, they're amazing, you know. Um, and they, they've been in publishing these, these fabulous books. Uh, I can't think of a, a better press to be published with if I were to be published in India. But yes, uh, I do want to publish the next one in the U.S. if it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll see.
0: Yeah, I'm sure it will be. Um, so, so let's finish up with the last poem that you want okay. to read.
3: This is called The Lesson. Is something to be learned from loneliness... The curve of each day shot across the bow. Do neglected bouquets know that the heart is nothing like a rose? Both tropes so overused it bears repeating like twin petals of the beat itself. One, two, one, two, to score music of the four-chambered maze close those eyes their bright windows to peruse a rhizome continuous profuse subterranean stem the eye seeping seamlessly into them listen there's a lovely violin to the east red neckline of the rising sun and standing still Still standing, relics of the elders, bay laurel, oak, redwood, manzanita, frozen in a paused narrative, retreating as touch me nots into winter, permanent char, staining time's elastic. At eleven, the mountains take off their cloud crowns, lizards. Belie alliterations of nursery rhymes to do push-ups. Rise and fall and then the lull. Something breaks and something bends. Where's the learning in all this? I leave the page open for you to guess.
0: That was the lesson. Uh, from <laughs> Open Zero. Great poem to end on. A perfect kind of closing to, a, to an excellent hour of reading and, and conversation. Thanks so much for joining us, Sophia. Thank you. Yeah, have a good day. You too. Is yes, that was Sophia Naz um, with her book Open Zero, um, which is available from Yoda Press? You can find more of um, Sophia's work at her website, com. That's S O P H I A N A Z. Dot com. So do check that out and buy a copy of um, these and other books, um, especially if you want to um, you know, learn more about about um, her mother's story, um, that book from Penguin. Um, there's Date Palms, there's Pointillism, and Peripheries. So a bunch of books um, by Sophia if you're interested in reading more. Now, we're going to take a quick break and go to open lines. And how the open lines work is always uh, this way. So email your poem right now if you haven't yet to mic at rattle.com. Um, So then I have it to show on screen, like I was showing Sophia's poems just now. And then call in either over Skype or the phone. Over Skype, it's Rattle Poetry, all one word. That's how you get on video, too. Just send me a chat message over Skype, um, and that's how you get in the call list. I'll call you when it's your turn. The other option is to call by regular phone. The number is 818-850-7727. Just let it ring a few times, then hang up, um, like a 310 has done, and a 916, too, um, today so far. Just let it ring a few times. Um, Then hang up and I will call you back when it's your turn within the next hour. And that's how the open lines work. The prompt for this week was to write a So We have a lot of short poems. Tricubes are are, um, poems of three lines, or three line stanzas, three three line stanzas with three um, syllables in each line. And so we're going to have some short poems, so feel free to read two. I think we'll have plenty of time if you want to share two. Um, But we'll get to open lines in just a moment. I'll be right back after I stretch and get all this prepared. And we're back. Thanks for your patience. Um, Now, like I mentioned, the prompt this week was to uh, write a poem. Let me read it word for word what the prompt was. It was to... Him, was to write a tri-cube, um, a form invented by. One okay. Um, write a tri-cube, a form invented by Philip Liera that consists of three standards made up of three lines where each line contains three syllables. And about 10 minutes before the show, I thought, oh, gosh, I gotta do something. So what I did was use. Um, an old prompt, an old prompt poem that I didn't actually read, um, which was remember the prompt was to uh, when the sun goes down at the county fair, so I had this long poem, um, that was sort of rhymed and it was going nowhere, and um, so I made it a quick tri cube instead, all condensed down. Um, it sort of takes the beginning and the ending, and cuts out everything in between uh, because maybe that's what the style does. So here's my tri cube. This is being there. When the sun goes down at the county fair and all the brightest lights come out, it's almost worth it then, being there. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of uh, of the fairs. It's just, it's so hot, it's so crowded, it's so overstimulating. But when the sun goes down, it's pretty at least. And here's Megan's poem, which as always is better than mine, Kindergarten Christmas Concert. And uh, we went to one of these except it was a middle school one, so this is sort of a flashback. Um, to the past. Kindergarten Christmas Concert. Children blush in elf hats, play along. The crowd coos. No one minds what goes wrong. Outside, snow falls lightly, an old song. Yeah, just a great ending in that. Kindergarten Christmas Concert. That was Megan's tri-cube poem. And now let's see what you have. So we're going to um, we have a bunch of first-time callers. Potentially, we have a nine-one-six uh, three-one-zero. Um, Karina Lutz is there, is here um, to join us too. So, um, first, I'm going to go to a veteran caller, just so the new t- callers can see how it goes. One thing I have to say is that if I call you, um, there's a delay in the broadcast, so you have to mute your stream where you're watching this now and just listen through the phone or through Skype. And also um, read your own piece of paper or, you know, off your phone or whatever, your, your desktop screen. But you have to read the poem yourself. You can't read it off the stream either because you're not at the same time. Is the uh, It's like a 20-second maybe delay. So you're not at the same time as um, what's on screen, so you can't read off the screen. So anyway, let's call up Rick. A, a... Richard Westheimer first, because we, he's been later in the show lately. So let's do Richard first, and then we'll do some first time callers, and then we'll get to everybody else as well. We have um, you know, Nivedita, which we'll get to soon because it's getting late in India. Uh, Joseph Nolan, um, Bev, um, Wendell Etherston, Joey Stahl, Spartacost, Guy Chambers, Philip Stern. We got a lot of people here. Ready? Let's call up uh, Richard Westheimer first. Hello, Richard. How are you doing today?
6: I'm doing great. It finally stopped raining. I think I'll get outside and do some work. So,
0: ah, excellent. Yeah. So you got a lot of weather out there, but not snow this time of year.
6: Uh no. I remember snow back <laughs> back in the day when it was. Uh, we get a little sleet. We we'll get some. We got some good snow last year, mm-hmm. um, first time. And we, I bought um, cross country skis in 2015, and because because yeah, and yeah. didn't use them until last last uh, february oh
0: wow yeah so, we we had um i think i mentioned that last week that we were going to get a storm um, and the potential was there for two feet of snow but it was almost all right we got like two inches instead so the, the tail end it got cold enough um yeah. and
6: we, we've we've had some um you know obviously everybody's had some strange weather and you know we we, we got the peripheral winds from the storms that blew through kentucky yeah. um and and some of the ones that blew through the I mean, the Midwest has gotten hammered. Yeah, um, in the last week or two. So,
0: so so what did you want to share today, Richard?
6: Um, so I'll share. Uh, is there time for two? For yeah,
0: a I think there is. I think because there's short poems, so feel free. Okay.
6: So I'll I'll start with my cursed religion, which was a Poets Respond poem. Okay. Uh, one that my wife said that I should never. Show to anybody because it paints me to be a really terrible person
0: <laughs> well here you go, showing it to everybody here <laughs>
6: right I mean you know what else but uh so and and this this is about the storms in Kentucky mm-hmm. uh, and um a sort of confessional about what was the first thought that crossed my mind,
0: yeah okay yeah yeah go ahead my cursed religion, I have it here.
6: Uh, my cursed religion, uh, and the epigraph from Yuval uh, Noah Harari, who wrote uh, Sapiens. Um, There's hardly an activity, a belief, or even an emotion that's not mediated by objects of our own devising. Mm -hmm. Tornadoes drag their harrowed teeth. They plow up homes and tombstones across Kentucky. People lie buried. Under debris, baby blankets tangle in trees, tattered Christmas wreaths litter the streets, a warehouse collapses, pinning workers beneath, ribboned steel beams twined with bodies, forklifts, conveyors, a cascade of concrete, Amazon essentials tumbleweed across miles of prairie. Unfilled orders pile in heaps on teamsters no longer breathing. Reflexively, I pray the liturgy of receipts and next day delivery. And my cursed religion has me wondering, will my prime order arrive on time?
0: Yes, a surprise turn at the end there, my cursed religion. Thanks for sharing that, Dick. And then uh, the other one is the prop poem.
6: The prompt poem. Um hang
0: hey, uh, on hey, one sec. Well you can you can talk about it a little bit. I have to re-log in. It always uh, oh, okay. logs me out twenty-four hours or you know, seven so days that, exactly that, after I yeah. usually <laughs> use the last.
6: Yeah. Uh so um this is just three of these try-cubes about this morning, oh. sort
0: of. Oh, so this hot off the press. Okay. Uh, they're ready three. now. Go ahead whenever you are.
6: One. Beach trees keep their copper filigreed leaves shimmering, leaves shimmering tarnished coins all winter long. The sleet ticks a stinging staccato. Two. My night walk is blinded by new lights left lit by new neighbors as afraid of the dark as I am drawn to it. Mm-hmm. Three. Three. Back up beeps on Sunday. There is no day of rest for me, the teamster or the trees. I sigh and go back inside.
0: Yeah, excellent. Try a trio, tri cube. I guess that would be a tri or tri quad. Yeah, something like that.
6: Let's um, see if it's al- if it's already cubed, it would be a four dimensional. Yeah, tri-cube. yeah,
0: exactly, yeah. That's interesting. I didn't even think of that until uh, you got to the end. And that that line about the, the night walk, though, it, the same thing happened to me. We have a great, you know, we talk about the night sky sometimes, the stars and walks here. And um, the, there's this little wash and a bridge we cross, usually the darkest place in town because the houses are far away. And the one person who lives there has these huge floodlights that, you know, the new owners, it's the same exact thing. So that yeah. one spot where I would just stand on the middle of the bridge as far away from everything as possible is now I could read a book. It's so. Funny. It's really annoying. Now,
6: yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't. Um, you know, we, we, we have sort of property rights, mm-hmm. but our property rights don't extend to uh, silence.
0: Yeah. Or
6: to you yeah. know, we, we are, we are not free from other people dumping their noise and light onto yeah, us.
0: Yeah. Keep your photons off my property. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> anyway. Well, thanks, Richard. Always fun.
6: Thanks, Tim. Bye. Bye.
0: There's Richard Westheimer with two poems. Um, let's go to, um, let's do Nivvy and then we'll do some first time college because Nividita is, um, it's like getting toward midnight there. Hey Nividida, how are you doing today? Hey Tim,
7: I'm doing great,
0: thank you. How about you? I'm doing great. It's a great start today for me um, and hopefully a great ending of the day for you. Um, I saw an article which oh, I see that gigantic. you didn't you didn't use. I'm, I'm looking at the your poetry respond poem right now, and I saw. Did you see the video of um, the the um, bull flipping over a turtle that was stuck on its back? I thought I you wonder if Nivy's going to write about that one. it's a perfect a perfect uh, video for there her. There were
7: actually three that I was looking at. One was that. <laughs> one was this quitter one that I I think I sent you, uh-huh. and the other one was about a dog that I think was stuck in Tennessee, and then a UPS driver who had some job on the other side of the country sort of went like it's okay I'll just return this lost dog back to its owner Uh and there was a really funny one that came out just this evening after I submitted the poem Uh, some a real deer was actually attacking a person's Christmas decorations especially the lit up Rudolph so Rudolph was actually having a fight with an actual deer so (laughs) but that came out slightly after I sent you the poem so I was like okay never mind
0: yeah, it's a good time of year maybe it's because it's the the holiday season that people like want to have more of these stories in the newspapers but it does seem like this time of year there are a lot of um you know fun videos and little light light-hearted, light lighthearted light light hearted stories so what is the one uh, that you shared so it's
7: it happened i think in the uk it's about this squirrel so most bird feeders are built so that it's just birds that can get in them mm-hmm. this squirrel somehow got into the bird feeder it's it filled and then got stuck in the RSPC and called too. Oh poor sort of guy. Yeah, look at this. He's like
0: um this is the the picture here. The poor guy's like Winnie the Pooh in that Winnie the Pooh story if you're familiar after the honey. With it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he's stuck. Uh but they let got him out, of course. I see the, the um Yeah, yeah the, the wire cards and fine. things. Yeah.
7: But do you think he learned his lesson? <laughs> Most likely not.
0: No, probably not. Probably not. So okay, so let's hear the poem then.
7: A Naughty Thief Another day, another bird feeder stalked To feed the poor birds struggling in the cold But one naughty hoarder crept right in, brash and bold Ha, what metal grill can keep me out, he mocked So in he waltzed and stuffed himself silly Till he got so full his belly was the size of a giant cherry He turned round ready to leave after making merry But found he could not as he'd stuffed himself willy-nilly He twisted and turned and tried his best to get out of the free food piled high, which had since turned sour. But alas, he got tired and needed to rest, and that's when someone spotted him as they were walking by. The RSPCA was summoned to free the little, now hefty dude, in an attempt to lighten the poor soul's sour mood. And come they did and free the nutty boy. But did he learn his lesson? You bet not, for there he is at the bird feeder of the (laughs) Roy's
0: That's funny, a nutty thief. Thanks for sharing that. And then you have another one too.
7: Uh, yes. So this one was, I'd actually, I love the form tri-cube. And I think that was one of the, I think we had a prompt a while back about create your own poetry form, which is one of the Rattlecast prompts. Oh. And this tri-cube was the one that inspired me to create mine, which was called and It had four, line, uh, four stanzas, two lines each, two, two syllables of that sort. So, this, this is the one that sort of inspired that.
0: Oh, very cool. And this is the um, True Veil vale Review. Mm-hmm. Okay. I got this up too.
7: Okay, good. It's just titled TriCube. I didn't give it any title, and I just put this was the poetry form, so that's how they also titled it. Poets are hitchhikers waiting and waiting to ride on the next thought train to unknown places deep in their souls.
0: Oh, that's an excellent one. I love that. There's a tri tri cube by Nivedita Karthik. Thanks so much for uh, being a guest again and and sharing poems with us.
7: No problem, Tim. And just just one thing. You were asking Sophia about the poetry situation in India. Mm -hmm. And she went, it's pervasive everywhere, which it actually is, but not in the sense of this sort of poetry for us. We have our prayers and everything. They're all in the form of poems or shlokas, as we like to call them. They're Mm -hmm. all in the form of poems and sort of deeply ingrained in everyday mind. And that is what is the first poetry in India. This is the more contemporary poetry. Mm-hmm. is slowly starting to be felt, but those traditional forms of poetry are so ingrained in us that, yes, poetry is, as she said, a part of our everyday life. Yes.
0: Yeah, that's what Tashani Doshi was talking about when I interviewed mm-hmm. her, was that, that, you know, you you go all over the place and it's written on the walls literally because it's... it's
7: literally there everywhere, like yeah. the back of tuk-tuks, car windows, like everywhere you go there's these... Two liners, couplets, shirres, they are there everywhere. Like mm-hmm. you talk to somebody, you you sort of say some of those words or phrases that are part of those poems without even realizing that you are actually speaking in poetry, if, yeah. if that helps. It's it's become so natural that it's just a part of speech for us. It's it's no longer considered, oh, I'm I'm actually saying poetry. No, I'm I'm just talking. If there's a poem in it, yeah, yeah, there's, there's, there's always poetry in the way we speak.
0: Yeah, well, unfortunately, I think here in the US, we do the same thing with like commercial jingles, you know, like, or, you know, just, you know, commercials from childhood, <laughs> just part of the culture. And it was just made to sell somebody, you know, like a dinosaur or whatever.
7: I think that's coming in here also now because of the pervasiveness of social media and everything.
0: Mm-hmm. That
7: does happen, but then this poetry is still, as much as jingles are a part of our everyday lingo, so are the traditional poetry forms here so yeah yeah, it's it's just we speak poetry here if that helps
0: (laughs) yeah well that's great to hear and i'm jealous but (laughs) okay well thanks Nivy. it's always great to talk to you
7: thank you tim it was lovely talking to you have a great sunday yep you too good night thank you bye
0: It was nvidia karthik with two poems let's go to a first-time caller next and this is karina lutz i think karina is a first-time caller let me see Hey, Karina, I'm so I... glad you could join us.
5: Yeah, thank you.
0: Um, if you want to be on video, there's a camera button that you have to click. But if not, that's okay, too.
5: Oh, okay. Um, camera button, got it. There you come. I have no idea what I look like right now. That's
0: but... <laughs> okay. There you go. Yeah, there it's great to see you. It's yeah, I
5: is what I am. Okay, that's all right. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give a little bit more. <laughs> Make something a little more interesting. There we go. So where are you calling
0: from? I always like to ask a first time call. Oh,
5: I'm in uh, Leverett, Massachusetts.
0: Uh-huh. And and what did you write about that you want to share?
5: Um, the twister again, um, that does not make me look wonderful. Uh does not put paint me in a great light. So very similar to Dick's, but a, a really different response.
0: hmm Okay. Well let's let's hear it whenever so it's, you're
5: it's from the right uh reader's response or yeah, readers response. Yeah. Respond, yeah. Close mm-hmm. respond. Um uh you've seen it already.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, go ahead. I have it on the screen from the email you sent in case there's an update. Yeah, go ahead.
5: All right. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to me. Um, This is uh, called Today's News. One twister left a shredded pile of cars pushed up against a snap building. I'm not looking for people under yet. My first response is guilt, then glee. I've driven 300,000 miles in my life, maybe more, and the tornadoes are coming for the cars, finally. Like the glee I feel when the hurricanes hit the oil refineries, as long as they don't spill into our beloved, angry gulf. It's surface hot and egging the winds on. What is our choice? A hundred dead, a hundred missing, plus or minus. Immeasurable species, immeasurable future beings. My children's great grandfather, true story, drove his first car, the first in town, into a tree. Crumpled, he left it there. In shock, walked home and never drove again. What? in our power? Yeah,
0: sorry for cutting you off of there. Um but that yeah, great great poem there and um and that was today's news. Um and yeah, it's just such a I've been watching a lot of the, you know, the video of survivors described like, you know, diving under a mattress and then the whole house coming down. just a, a you know, amazing to think about, you know, what people are going through right now. Thanks for sharing that, Karina.
5: Sure. Thank you.
0: Bye. That was Karina Lutz with uh, Today's News. And um, let's go next to... Let's do a first-time caller here at 407. We'll see who that is. Well, 407 is not picking up. We'll circle back to them later. Let's call it Phil, Flip Stern. Usually um, we've been getting to him later in the show. Let's do him a little earlier this time. He's got a cube. hello hey philip how are you doing today
8: okay you caught me by surprise hold on <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> okay um, i think so, i'm all muted i'm yeah. muted now
0: okay, okay sounds good so so what did you want to share today is it just the tricube
8: yeah that's
0: it um is there anything you want to say uh to introduce it or or, or about how it came to be
8: well, you know, it's about the uh this old story. It could have been a re- poet's response except it's much later. Um the parents being charged in Michigan. Oh yeah. Uh, for that school shooting uh, by their son.
0: Did they they um cuz they like were on they sort of were like hiding or something. Did they find them? I I kind of yes. lost track of that oh, story. Yeah. They did. Yes, okay. Yes, they yeah.
8: did. They they went to a warehouse in Detroit and uh, they were tracked down. Mhm. Yeah. And the uh, person who gave him permission, I think, was also... Um, well, he, he was cooperative, so I don't think he was being charged.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, here we go. This is parental permission, whenever you're ready. I'm ready. Okay, go ahead. <laughs>
8: <laughs> parental permission. His father took him to the gun shop. His mother tested it out without him. In four days... He would kill four
0: classmates. Yeah, it's a, it's amazing to think of, um, you know, what those they would be feeling, like how much guilt and and I don't know. I mean, all the things you could have done differently. Any time that you're involved in these things, but but to have that much of a role in in making what happened yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
8: Yikes! This this is shocking. It's absolutely shocking.
0: Yeah, yeah,
8: it and, really is. Uh, no, no sense of responsibility. Hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that, Philip. It's a a great little poem. Okay. Thanks.
8: All right. Thank you.
0: Yep. Bye. Bye. Philip Stern with parental permission. And and let's go to uh, Joy Stahl next. Hey, Joy, how are you doing today? All right. And so you have a tri cube to share with us, and then you you uh, gave some pictures too, which I'll put up on screen. Uh, do you want to explain what what the pictures are of?
9: Yes. Um, so here in western Kansas, we were involved in the weather event that locally we're calling Dust Bowl 2021. Ah, I uh, see. It. Yeah. We we had high winds kick up in the middle of the day, and it knocked out power at school, and we had to dismiss and. And throughout the day, I was taking pictures out the same or pictures and video out the same door um as the first one there mm-hmm. to uh, to have some perspective but uh I was not for some reason was not able to transfer um one of those over, so I just sent one that I took on my walk home of later in the day uh several hours later.
0: You know. Is that unusual for, for your area? I mean, we I live, um, you know, a mountain above a desert. And so down there, they get dust storms. Um, and they don't really get up to us at this elevation. Um, but but for your area, is that is that uncommon? It just reminds you that, you know, the Dust Bowl, if you're...
9: Right. We were actually, this area was part of the Dust Bowl
0: mm-hmm.
9: back when. There are historical pictures here of that. Uh, I've lived here. This is my seventh year teaching here. And... Um, this has happened twice while I've been here. Uh-huh. So, um, and the, the first time I was in a diner across the highway from just, just across the width of the highway and then a little park from the grain elevator and could not see the grain elevator oh, wow. for the dust. <laughs> and they're pretty visible, <laughs> obviously. Uh, and that's one of the things of, of these pictures is completely obscuring what normally would be visible beyond um, beyond what was uh, what was being able to be seen there but we actually lost power at the school while the whole town lost power
8: oh,
0: it's uh, for, for like, about like a wind five event?
9: Hours yeah it was very... from the wind event yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah the our wind gusts were well the first picture i took um that i sent you was when the winds were around 40 miles an hour with gusts up to 50 mm-hmm. and then later on it got much Stronger than that. The, the most I found was 60 in our area, but just west of us, they had 107 miles an hour.
0: Uh huh. Oh, wow. 107. Yeah, that's like yes. hurricane force almost.
9: Yes, it, it was. That's what they said.
0: Yeah. Um, well, let's hear this poem The Dust Cube, a perfect right. title for today.
9: Yes. <laughs> Wind picks up, blowing dust fast and far. Mid morning horizon blurred by brown. Increasing until noon, grit obscures,
0: yeah, it's that grit like i like when I see that picture, I imagine it's smoke because I'm so used to you know having smoke everywhere, and so the idea of it being grit you know is uh, in your teeth, I don't know, could you feel it like that?
9: Yes, I actually left my mask on when I walked to and from school because I only lived two blocks mm-hmm. uh, and that morning i the wind was already strong enough that i had put I put my mask on just as soon as I left the house. And knowing that, I left it on when I walked home and it was completely saturated with dust by the time I got here.
0: Oh wow. Well well thanks for sharing that poem and the the report, Joy. Thank you. Yep. Goodbye. Bye. It was Joy Stahl with Dust Cube, December 15, twenty one. And uh let's go next to um, let's call up Ted Guevara and see how that how that goes. Ted's the first time we've read write his poems. He's been on the phone once. He's never done Skype before, though. So in a way, it's a first-time caller. First time we'll see Ted. Nope, oh, it didn't work. Well, um, I'll I'll circle back and then I'll read Ted's poem for him if I can't get the connection to go. So oh, we were we're gonna circle back too to another. And we have four zero seven and an eight four five. Let's try the eight four five. Ah, okay. So the four oh seven is Carlton Johnson. Hey, this is Tim with the Rattle, and you are live on the air. Who am I talking to? Hi, it's Sharon Florente. Oh, hey, Sharon. Great to hear you. Yeah, I think you haven't called in before, but we've read your poems before, right? Yeah,
10: yeah. I can't figure out how to use the how to use the vid, how to use the Skype. Camera video. Oh. Well, I don't
0: know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't, well, right That's now you're it. on the phone, um, okay. and so we just have voice. Um, well, we could try Skype okay. sometime, though, okay. if you if you want to try at a different time. But uh, but let's just do the voice for now. So, what poem do you have to share with us?
10: Um, I did the try cube. Uh-huh. Uh
0: huh.
10: Yeah, I love short poems, and this was so much fun. Yeah, me too. Uh huh. And I, oh, and I love the interview.
0: Oh, th- thank you. The yeah, show, yeah. Sophia is a really cool great. person. Yeah, she's really interesting.
10: Oh. oh yeah, magical. Okay. Yeah, I wrote. I just uh, wrote the tri cube about. Um, this like the third poem I've written. We're moving to Florida. Mm-hmm. I'm in New York, and we're moving to Florida uh, around the 29th of this month.
0: Well, good luck with the move. That's a long way to go.
10: Yeah, it's been rough. I'm telling you. So I wrote this poem. It's called, What Do I Need?
0: Okay, go ahead whenever you're ready.
10: What do I need? I rummage through my life, transplanting, packing up 33 settled years. The dust takes what I have lived without.
0: That's a great short poem. What do I need? Yeah, packing up after thirty-three mm-hmm. years. Well, good luck with the move, and hope it goes well. And, and hope to uh, you can call in again from the new location.
10: Yes, I, I will, I absolutely will. I'll tr- I'll keep trying to Skype to figure it out.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, if you ever want to just test it out with me sometime, you know, send me a note. And we could try it out.
10: Awesome. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks, Thank Sharon. You. Yeah. Talk to you later. And have, you. A have a good
0: move. And a good holiday too. You. Bye.
10: You too. Thank you. <laughs>
0: I was sharing fronte with what do I need here? Ted, Ted, t- calling again. So, so um, let's call Ted on the phone. I guess the Skype wasn't working. Hey, you, Ted, yeah. I hear myself in the background, so I'm gonna mute you right now. Just you know, close out of that. I think it's better now. Okay, great. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, how you doing, Ted? Damn. Hey, yeah. I'm okay. <laughs> it's great. To, great to hear from you. So um. So what do you have that you wanted to share today?
4: Uh, okay, I have, yeah, I tried you, you. I tried
0: you. Okay, yeah, I have it up. Go ahead whenever you're ready. Is there anything you want to say to introduce it first, though?
4: Well, um, you know, if, if a brief poem like this, you know, they tend to aim wide,
0: you
4: uh-huh. know? Yeah, yeah. Which I find, you know. Well, I'll read it.
0: Okay, go ahead.
4: Okay, three imperfect haikus wanted to be one. There is that to wish and go around. The river panics like it's empty. We fly fish at the sky. snag its wounds. Equal, it gets the hyacopat. Exploded hills but with wet eyes, blind tongue It goes for the planet.
0: Oh wow, that's a really cool poem, Ted. Uh, three imperfect Thank haikus you. wanting to be one, and um, and and you know how each three it does equal that. That's fascinating. I love the river panics like it's empty too. That's a great great stanza on its own.
4: Uh
0: huh. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, and good to hear your voice, Ted.
4: Yeah, next time maybe I
0: can Skype, You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like like uh we said with we Sharon. If you want to test it out with me sometime, we can try to figure out it works. Um, you know, feel free. Okay. Okay. Sure. Yep. Thank Bye. you. Bye Ted. Bye. It was uh, Ted Guevara with three imperfect haikus wanting to be one. Um and now so that was the Okay. Who do we, who is the eight? Oh, eight four five was Sharon Frontier. Let me add Sharon before we forget so we know who that is. Okay. And then who is left? Let's go to, let's try, oh, 407. Ah, okay. The 407 was um, Carlton and, and he'd like me to read. And yeah, let me add Carlton's number two to make sure we know who it is next time. Okay. So this is Carlton Johnson's poem. This is Parked Near the Sun. It was a poet poem from twelve from December nineteen oh, oh four um December 29th twenty twenty one. So it's a It's a new Poetry Spawn poem. Here's the reference. Uh, Ah, this is what my Psy is about. This is the the article that um, Carlton Johnson's writing about right here. The Parker Solar Probe is the first spacecraft... Oh, don't do that. No thanks. The Parker Solar Probe is the first spacecraft to visit the sun's atmosphere. The probe crossed an invisible boundary that has been predicted for decades but never observed. And so... um, yeah, so here's an artist's rendition of it, but the, it's skimming the surface of the corona, which is pretty amazing um, to think about. Well, of course, when, when the corona is uh, 13, or uh, not 13, a million degrees or so um, Celsius. So um, let's see Carlton Johnson's poem here. This is Parked Near the Sun. Parked Near the Sun. Here we are, floating on dime-thin streamers, solar dreamers sailing beside you. We fast approach the sun, our mother. We enter madly into this maelstrom of light, like thousands upon millions of fireflies, all whooshing past, casting no shadows, no blues. These are ebullients in their race. To meet us face to face as we, viewing past them, see the grand Milky Way, and yet, flowing, yet undone, our knowing. Particles like blown confetti on a New Year's celebration, here we embark on a new year, setting sail as Jason did centuries before, now we have located our golden fleece. In this crown of sun, we are one, having cast our multitude of our shorn, Existences That's excellent poem thanks for sharing that Carlton and I do love the story about the um, the new space probe that I guess with every pass it goes deeper and deeper into the Sun and um, and, and measures more of the things that we haven't and, and there are a lot of surprises It's a big mystery why the corona manages to be so hot. Uh, no one really knows why it's hotter you know at the edge of the sun you know at the edge of the sun's atmosphere, it's much hotter than the sun itself. And it's kind of a mystery. It doesn't really make sense from a from regular physics point of view. There must be something electromagnetic going on, I think. Um but anyway. Let's go. Oh, Spartacos. Let's do Spartacus. Let's go down the, the list. I kind of um we have Guy Chambers too. We have Spartacos. Um the nine oh nine one six. I wonder who that was. Let's see. Oh, and Bev Bev Wendell Everston too. And Joseph Nolan. Okay, so we have a lot of people to go through still. Let's try this 916. I'm not sure um, who that might have been. Maybe Dan Brady. Hmm. No. Hey, this is Tim uh, with Rattle Magazine. You're live on the air. Did you want to share a poem? Hello, Tim. How are you? I'm great. Yeah. Who am
11: I talking to? Uh, This is Philip Larea. I actually called in. (laughs) <laughs> uh, because I heard you were featuring the Tri Cube, and uh, you know, so I hadn't really intended
0: to share a poem, but um, I just wanted to take the opportunity to thank you for keeping the form alive. Oh, that is so interesting! I didn't expect that at all. So, so um, tell us about what uh, you know. What inspired you to create this form? How did that come to be?
11: <laughs> you know, I I started going to poetry events in about 2011. And uh, I thought, geez, these poems just go on too long. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, I thought, well, I'm going to create a short form and what is perfect is, you know, the number three. Uh But the haiku had already been taken. (laughs) Uh, So I figured three times three times three would be even more perfect. And uh, so that's how I evolved into the three stanzas, three lines per stanza, three syllables per line. Yeah, It's a really good
0: uh, length, yeah.
11: Uh, you know, it just seemed to have. I went, and did it at an open mic, and it was um, long enough that you know people got to settle into their seat for a minute, but uh, short enough that it just kind of like, wow, it's done. Thank you. <laughs> you <know?
0: laughs> that was really neat. So, so when was this that you you invented the form? Uh, 2011. Uh-huh. Oh, so it's not that old. Okay, very. And I guess it's spreading all over the place because we had. Um, when, um, I don't know if you saw the whole show, but, but Nivedita Karthik had a poem, had TriCube published, um, that was based on a previous prompt where we, anybody could pick your own form. And, um, and she picked the TriCube. So it's been around and then, and then Megan chose it for the prompt, uh, this week. So it's really getting out there.
11: Well, that's just, you know, um, I, like I say, I just had to call in, uh, Joseph Nolan gave me a heads up on it i think he oh. was going to be doing the open mic
0: yeah and he is, so he yeah. was kind
11: enough to send me all the links <laughs> and all that sort of thing
0: ah, and
11: cool. uh you know i i'm just so pleased that regardless of whatever i wrote that this thing keeps going out there and uh you know that's uh that, that's just a heck of a legacy i'm just thrilled <laughs>
0: yeah, that, that is yeah <laughs> so do you have any that you could share with us
11: um sure um let me see um This is uh, is called Killer Mind. Uh, Killer Mind. Profiled ill since third grade. No permits to work here. Go west. Gone. Unsexy, sick bastard. We'll fix him.
0: That is cool. Cool to hear the the inventor coming on and sharing one of them. Um, and, and you can hear the 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 three, you know, the way it works there. Do you usually um, cut it off? Do you like to try to cut them off, um, each stanza being its own sentence, or do you like to, to blend across stanzas?
11: Uh, I like uh, to try to make it coherent in the old forms, in the old ways, that a stanza should be a complete thought, that, mm-hmm. you know, the next stanza leads from that thought. And so I do try to, you know, it's... Um, you could end up with just uh, gobbledygook, you know, gibberish. Uh huh. And so the real challenge to writing a tricube cube is to make it just seem like, uh, you know, seamless to the listener that they're not aware that they're uh, listening to a form.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, very cool. And well, so
11: yeah, I do, I do try to, I do try to conform to the, uh, you know, the the ways that one should write poetry.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you could call in and 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 tell us a little bit more about how this form came to be. It was really cool talking to you and a pleasant surprise.
11: I'm I'm really looking forward to catching up with the uh, archive of the link, so I can listen to the whole show.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, definitely do, and uh, we've had a, g- a couple great ones so far. So, I'm um, looking forward to more. Thanks, Philip.
11: Well, thank you so much, Jim. Yep. Bye. Bye. Bye.
0: Yeah, that was uh, Philip Lair, the inventor of the TriCube, which was the prompt for this week. And um, let's go to we'll go to Joseph Nolan in a second, who um, who Philip mentioned. Um, I was going to read, too, I forgot to read um, Carlton Johnson's Tricube. So here it is, this one, too. This is a Tricube. This is Carlton Johnson again. A Tricube. I need breath to keep all together. I need breath to leave all behind me. So I breathe in and out. I stay here. That is Carlton Johnson's A Tricube. Thanks for sharing that, too, Carlton. And let's call up uh, Joseph Nolan. Where did he go? There's Joseph. Hey, Joseph. How are you doing today? Good, Tim. How are you? Doing great. I don't know if you just saw that we talked to Philip uh, Leira. So it was great for you to uh, make that connection so we could call in.
12: Yeah, thank you. Um, Well, you know, uh, I have known Philip uh, since about 2017 from the Sacramento Poetry Center. He used to run a Saturday afternoon poetry reading. Uh And so uh, I used to go there and uh, read poems. And uh, so I heard about his form from him. You know, he was mentioning it during one of these sessions.
4: Uh-huh.
12: And uh, so I thought, oh, how nice it would be, you know, just to let him know so he could show up and uh, share in the, you know, uh, honoring of his poetry form.
0: Yeah, well, it was a great idea. It was really fun talking to him. And, and you gave a few tricubes to, to share today. Do you want to say anything about, like, your use of, uh, use of the form? How many of these have you written? Oh,
12: I've written maybe about 10 in total. Mm -hmm. Uh, I play around with it. You know, sometimes uh, something will occur to me. But I don't write that many of these. But they're fun. You know, if you can uh, get one that uh, works. You know Uh, what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, let's hear them.
12: Okay, Essential Tricube 101. Three things count. Syllables, stanzas, lines. Essential elements of tricube. Don't forget, more or less, forbidden. <laughs> Inhabiting a tricube. I sense walls. I sense room. Rhythm calls. mat or floor mat, I can't be sure. Something like, grift wrap torn. Oh, a door. Envelope. Envelopes fold papers in themselves. Sender's name displayed for all to read. Message meant for only you to see.
0: Oh, that was excellent. Envelopes. My favorite was the um, the second one, Inhabiting a Tri-Cube. A format, or, a format or format. That's great. Thanks for sharing that, Joseph.
12: Thanks, Tim. Bye-bye now. Yep. Have a good day. Yeah,
0: Joseph Nolan with three Tri-Cubes. Another tri cube cubed. Would that be to the ninth? Now my my math um, skills are are causing problems. Let's call up Guy Chambers next. And Guy's got three tri cubes too. Hey Guy, how are you doing today?
13: Not too bad. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great. It's an excellent morning for me. Uh, and you have three tri cubes to share. So um.
13: Yeah. Yeah, this is the first time I ever tried one. First time I actually even heard of one. and I really enjoyed like writing short poems like this. I've read a lot of like, I call them micro poems in like two, three, four liners. And this one I really like how to do this, so I written these three up here and uh so are you ready to read?
0: Yeah, go ahead.
13: Okay, the first one, let's say since it's Christmas time, I said I'll put, uh Grinch, I call it Grinch. Mean and green. Miss Christmas without doubt. Lean is esteem misery gruff and tough a true fool pitiful rules one stool (laughs) my next one called lies eyes of lies a face case clear with sneer fib on lips breathe through teeth all tall tales trickery Self-crafty of one's s- sly. The last one here is called song. Sing a song of time long, words so strong, gleam meaning, beam feelings deep. Key, oh sorry, keep and so deep, drift with gift, dear sincere, tear to the ears.
0: Thank you. Excellent. Yeah, I love that song at the end. Thanks so much for sharing that, guy.
13: Okay, thanks a lot. See you later. Bye. Yep, bye.
0: It was Guy Chambers with three TriCubes, another TriCube Cube. Hey Bev, how are you doing today? So, I think I had it on mute a little bit at the so everybody at, Hi. <laughs> sorry about that. I had a I had a little cough. Um so um yeah, so so Bev, um what do you have to share with us today? <clears throat> Well, first, thank you so
14: much. Today was just wonderful. Thanks to all the poets who read. Um, there were two news articles, one right after the other one, about the maple syrup shortage in the world, and Canada was responding to it, uh, taking maple syrup out of its national reserves. And the other was the high gas gasoline prices in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and how President Biden was taking... 60 million gallons of gasoline out of the National Reserves. So I thought this was pretty funny uh, to hear these two, and I wrote a poem about it.
0: About the cranky motorists. Is that the right one?
14: Yeah, that's it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, go ahead whenever you're ready. Go ahead.
14: Yeah. Thank you so much. Cranky motorists, the president's worst nightmare. High pump prices say he doesn't care. That bodes problems at the polls. His popularity just took a mighty toll.
2: He releases
14: 50 million barrels from oil reserves, hopeful lowered prices will return the praise he deserves. But the GOP counters it's time to conserve. Saying Biden's lost his political nerve. While next door, Canada's in a big snit because Quebec's weather. Wasn't fit. They needed warm days with frozen nights to make maple syrup run just right. The huge maple syrup cartel just caved, releasing sweet reserves with half still saved. 50 million gallons for shops' sell- shelves just in time for Santa and his elves. Two linked national emergencies are reverted. In one, to make their waffles taste like dessert. The other, their climate policy to revert. There'll be no more maple syrup if earth's an arid earth desert.
0: Yeah, great poem. And that's just a funny contrast, too, <clears throat> between the, um, yes. the, the maple syrup. Yes, I thought reserves. it was quite an yeah. irony. Yeah, it really is. An irony. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> thanks for bringing that out. Um, really cool poem. Bev. Thank you thanks. so much. Yep. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Okay, that was Bev Wendleston, Wendell Atherstone. And let's see. Yeah, sorry for being muted. I um have a little cough, and then I get a sip of my coffee. And then by the time I uh, come back, I forget that I was, was muted. Let's see. Let's see if we have any other poems to read here. A few. Let me do a random poem. Just share a random poem from Rattle. Then we'll close up the show, I think. I'll hit the random button here and see what comes up. What did we get? We get Your Fear by Leatha Kendrick. And so this is um a poetry spun poem. So we're going back in time to December 23rd. Wow, look at that. That is three years ago to the day almost. This is going to be your your uh, this day three years ago poem. And uh here we go. This this is um this is the note from Leah Leatha. Uh, Like many others, I have distanced myself from the 24-hour news cycle. Last week here in Lexington, Kentucky, reader and writers celebrated Thomas Merton's life uh, with a reading from his works. Merton, who died in 1968, lived in Kentucky at the Abbey of Guestamani and had many friends among Kentucky writers, including Wendell Berry, one of my teachers and mentors. As I listened to, again, Merton's clarity about what divides us, I realized he could have been writing about today. As the Vietnam War intensified, Merton saw the opportunities for distortion and manipulation inherent in television reporting. He claimed to have only watched television twice in his life. His words made me ask myself again, what do we gain from the 24-hour news cycle? What is... It's selling, if not fear, and for whose benefit? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, I don't watch the news, as I've said many times, but we don't have um, regular TV here. We have no reception. We have no cable. Um, you know, we have the Internet and Netflix and all that stuff. But, um, but yeah, it's just no good, the news. So here is uh, Your Fear by um, Leatha Kendrick and um, a, a poem from three years ago, but still relevant right now, of course. Here we go.
15: Your fear. Now ask yourself, who might it serve that you would grow downhearted? What do you choose to see? What will your seeing make? The news selected and remade, mirrored, and seen a billion times its weight weighs on the mind that seeks it out. What is the news? The breath just drawn, the thought not yet enfleshed the kind word being said the stars that press unseen overhead it is the unforeseen upon which poe said we must calculate most largely impossible to separate misery and joy the living edge of mystery times unfolding wantless holds you dear the universe
0: has no need of your fear. Yeah, very cool poem to come up randomly. That was uh, um, "Your Fear," Great last Line. The universe has no need of your fear. Um, Leitha Hendrick with a post-respond poem from a couple years ago. Maybe let's do one more. I just like looking at the random poems. I don't, you know, you can just sit here clicking the random button, and uh, cool things come up no matter what at rattle.com. dot This is Nika Cruz, um, an Australian poet who um i don't think we've had her on for in a while or uh in in rattle in a while we published her a few times um this is under the shadows let's do this one and there the note um this is an old or maybe there's no there's no note for this one um under the shadows here we go nika cruz
16: under the shadows this is what happened at the foot of cradle mountain on those 600 acres when my stepfather washed his lithium down the basin and started hallucinating again. He took the farm cats down the back paddock one by one and cut off their heads. And now he was sure they were back, stalking him by the hundreds, disguised as shadows. He started hiding in the chicken coop, squished in the corner, his face pressed into the diamond wire. My mother would coax him out with a flashlight. He'd crawl toward the bright beam and follow it limp and drooling to the house. Sometimes he'd fall asleep as soon as she got him to bed. Other times, he'd creep out, find my mother chopping vegetables, curl at her feet, and beg that she take the knife to him. Cut me small, he'd plead. I need to be in pieces to escape this. She'd try to get him to the doctor, but when she picked up the phone, he'd lunge at her screaming. And one day... He tore the wire from the wall. That night, when he fell into heavy sleep, my mother took thick grey masking tape, wrapped it quietly round and round, taped him to the bed. He didn't stir. She blew him a soft kiss, pulled on her gumboots and greenhouse coat. I'm going for help, she whispered, and headed down the dirt track. She didn't know how long it would take, but she stepped out into the pitch black under the shadows, the night creatures rustling, she kept going, flashing the small light in her hand.
0: And that was Nika Cruz uh, with a poem from rental number 27, Under the Shadows. And uh, the note wasn't isn't on the um, website, because back when we first posted this, we weren't including the notes. So let me read the note. I pulled it up from the actual issue. This is what Nika Cruz says. Whatever the experience, no matter the weight, shock, or beauty, I find... I find myself noticing the words around it, or the way it lends itself to some other likeness. Recently, my apartment was robbed and my laptop was stolen. On it, seven years of poetry. Even as I stood aghast in the upturned office, I could hear a first line tapping in the back of my head. The first thing I noticed was Jesus in his small wood frame lying among debris. Even when I don't feel ready for the poem, I try to stay mindful of being a filter. To help the poem come into form and go out into the world where it can belong to someone else. That was Nika Cruz's note um, about why she writes poetry. And let's do one last one. And here is um permission for number 44. This is um, Rebecca Schumaja, who should, we should have on. She's got a book out recently, actually, that I've, I saw. Um, and here is uh, this poem... This is A a Lobster's Home. And here's the note. I'll read the note first this time. Um, Rebecca Schumacher. When he was alive, my father constantly reminded me of how everything can be taken away from you, except your knowledge. And in this economy, that old adage has sustained me. That is her note. And this is A a Lobster's Home, which there's no audio from from Rebecca, so I'll read this uh, to you myself. A Lobster's Home. On Thanksgiving, everyone brings. My uncle boils the lobsters. We will eat turkey we will eat in lieu of turkey, claws instead of wings. The women put out crackers and picks, troughs of melted butter and empty bowls for shells. Even though most of us moved off the island, everything and every one we love comes from water. My brother worked on a lobster boat with some other men in our family when he was still in high school. Now he is losing his house, deciding whether to make the bank take it from him or simply give it back. I pick every last crevice, even suck the meat from the antennas, and eat the red eggs hiding at the end of my husband's tail as he and my daughter look on in disgust. It's all right, really, I try to convince them in the same tone my brother used when he told me he stopped paying his mortgage. And that is uh, from rental number 44. A Lobster's Home by Rebecca Schumajda. Alright, and so um, let's do the uh, the Saiku to close out the show now. And the Saiku was right here. Let's see. Yeah, so as I said, I already mentioned this article. Um this is based on I, I use this NASA article. Um, NASA enters the solar atmosphere for the first time, bringing new discoveries. And it talks all about this. What I did, though, I was really curious, how does the Parker Solar Probe not melt? That was the thing that I really wanted to look up. And um, it turns out that one thing that I didn't know, so the, the corona is, is millions of degrees in temperature. And so it seems like anything metal would melt, right? But but I guess the um, the density of the actual matter there is still so low that the, it doesn't get hit by a lot of particles, even though the particles that does get hit by are millions of degrees Celsius. So what happens is that um, there's very little heat transfer transfer. So even though, you know, it's a million degrees, the surface of whatever it's hitting might not be that hot. And so they have this big heat shield um, over the, in front of the probe. So it's like flying in almost like on a surfboard with a shield to block the um, all the sun's energy that's pouring in and uh, it's kind of you know skimming along the atmosphere, which reminded me of um skipping stones and um, one of my only memories <laughs> one of the one of the memories of my father will say, so this is a quick psycho um, about that. Where did it go? Here it goes fond memory. Searching for any stones to skip Fond memory Searching for any stones to skip That is your Psyku for today And that is the show for today So glad you could join us and, and spend uh, Part of your Sunday here We always appreciate it It's just great having an audience like I was saying um, To appreciate it I appreciate all you so much I can't tell you how much um, And um, I, I just do It's great to sit around and share poems this way and um, and, and have you all here with me So um, the the Christmas holiday is coming up on Saturday this week, but we will still have a Sunday show. Next week's guest is going to be Jose A. Alcantara, who um, is just a wonderful one. He's a Neil Postman Award winner last year for his poem Divorce, which is what we pick for the best metaphor usage um, in a poem. Every year was an extended metaphor um, and that poem was reprinted on the Writer's Almanac and all sorts of things. He's sort of a reclusive kind of guy. Um, this is there are only two pictures of him, and, and one of them is just one that he gave us at the time um, when he won the award, which is this photograph here. Um, but he has a book out for the first time, *The Bitten World*. Um, Jose A. Alcantera. Um, it's out from Tepok Bach Press, and so we're we'll going to be talking to him next week, Sunday, December twenty sixth. The prompt. Uh, for next week is going to be hang on the prompt is going to be write a poem about the winter solstice so there you go a topical prompt write a poem about the winter solstice it's coming up in two or three days I'm not sure if it's the 21st or 22nd this year but um, it's a perfect time to write a poem about that. Write a poem about it. You can write it on the winter solstice or after or before, whenever you want. But write a poem about the winter solstice is your prompt for this week. And then, once again, your guest is going to be Jose A. Alcantara. And uh, it's Sunday, December 26th, the regular time, noon, Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Hope to see you then. Hope you have a great weekend and a, and a happy holiday. If you celebrate the one that's coming up, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye.